Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. There are tens of thousands of wildfire survivors from the North Bay fires in 2017 and the Camp Fire in 2018. Many of them lost homes and people they loved. And today they're getting close to settling with Pacific Gas and Electric, or PG&E, the giant utility that played a big role in these disasters. Now, the survivors need to vote on a deal by the end of next week, but it's been pretty messy. Many of the wildfire survivors aren't happy with the way the settlement's been negotiated. And there's no guarantee that PG&E learned its lesson. The bankruptcy process, instead of helping make PG&E a stronger utility, might actually have made it less strong. So what does this mean for the tens of thousands of wildfire survivors who are still waiting to get justice for what happened to them? I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to The Bay. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Hi, Zeta. Hi. Uh Veda Buffard is a campfire survivor. She lived in paradise for many years, had a beautiful home there, uh, custom built many years back. And she ended up after the campfire losing her house and not knowing where to go. Lily Jamali is co-host and correspondent for the California Report. She's also been covering the PG&E settlement for KQED. And so she ends up taking this road trip and 
lands in Tennessee, and that's where I met her. She now lives in Knoxville, Tennessee. I went out there in early March to interview a bunch of campfire survivors, actually, who have found themselves in this this region of Tennessee in the eastern portion of the state. Now, why, why Tennessee? I'm curious. <laughs> it's a really good question. As it's happened, there's just this very interesting confluence of reasons, whether it's people having family in Tennessee or just finding real estate to be a lot cheaper out there that has drawn people to that part of the country. I'll do my best. I'll keep pushing. And when I have time, I'm still working on putting my life back together, too. So it's just the whole thing's overwhelming. And so Veda Buffard is one of these people who left Northern California uh, after her home was destroyed. But she's also part of this giant settlement along with how many other wildfire survivors? The best guess is probably in the neighborhood of about 70,000 people. A lot of people are involved in this settlement. Jeez. And who makes up these wildfire survivors? You mentioned people who lost their homes in the campfire, but there's also the fires in Northern California. So, So who are they? You know, it runs the gamut. Um, It it is people from the North Bay fires in in 2017, so parts of wine country here in California. It's also um, residents of paradise. And we're talking all ages. I mean, we're talking, you know, adults, but also there are a lot of kids involved, depending on which community you're looking at. Um, And in paradise in particular, the community there tend to be a little bit on the older side of the spectrum. And so uh, it was paradise. It was the communities of Megalia and Concow, which haven't gotten quite as much uh, news coverage. But there were several communities that were affected by the campfire alone. The fires not only destroyed lives and communities, they also led to a huge legal and financial mess that meant less money for survivors and more money promised to investors. That's because hedge funds that own shares of PG&E also bought up the insurance claims that PG&E owes money to. And they use that leverage to make a killing off the bankruptcy process, all before the settlement with wildfire survivors, which meant in the end, there just wasn't much money left for the people who were hurt the most from these disasters. Because PG&E shareholders also owned so many of these insurance claims, they had bought them on the cheap very early in the bankruptcy. They then turned around and essentially bargained with themselves to give them a, themselves a very nice all-cash settlement. When it came time to really nail down a final settlement with the fire survivors, there just wasn't that much money left. Can you give me a sense of like how big of a settlement this is in, in PG&E's history? I think it's fair to say this is one of the largest settlements in U.S. bankruptcy history. In U.S. bankruptcy history? Yes. This is the largest utility bankruptcy in U.S. history. In my pretty extensive research on settlements, this is easily one of the largest settlements for a victim's group that has ever taken place in the history of this country. Not only are these 70,000 people that could use a lot of help right now rebuilding or starting their lives over, but who are also, and it's hard to fully you know, convey this unless you've talked to some of these folks, but who are really still working through the anguish and the trauma of fleeing from these awful fires. I mean, 
When I was in Tennessee, I talked to this mom who, you know, barely got out of this fire with her, her little girl and who had prepared to die with her daughter in her arms. And I just had to keep driving and I was trying to think, what am I going to do when my car catches on fire and how am I going to get her? And um, I just kept praying that she would have a quick death. And that took me a long time to deal with being okay. Just when you, um, when you pray for your baby to die, <laughs> you carry a lot of guilt. <laughs> There are so many stories and, you know, what has been so incredible as I've gotten to talk to, you know, a lot of these survivors is the resilience and the willingness to, while they're working on their personal lives and rebuilding, the willingness to learn this stuff and to read and to engage. People are trying their best to cope emotionally while also trying to make sure that they learn all of this stuff. There's a lot to learn, a lot to read. What PG&E fire survivors are doing right now is trying to make it known that there are some flaws in their opinion in this settlement. For example, when it was announced in December, it was touted as a $13.5 billion deal. Half of it in cash, half of it in stock. As it turns out, that stock component is the real problem from the perspective of many fire survivors. Given the COVID-19 pandemic, we've seen what's happened in financial markets. Stocks are, have, have not been this volatile in quite some time. They do not want stock in the company that killed their parents or ruined their house. You have the problem of the coming fire season, and every time there's a major fire, PG&E stock basically is sent off a cliff. So their concern is that they don't have a final dollar figure on exactly how much that stock component of this deal is worth. It's still actually being negotiated right now, confidentially, even as they are voting on their plan. They don't even know what they're voting on. They don't even know what they're voting on in their telling of this. And it's almost like someone described it to me as, you know, going to vote for the presidential election when you don't even know who the candidate is. Obviously, you're, you're never going to please, I, I think, 70,000 people. But it, but it sounds like there's a lot of people who feel like the way it's, it's happening isn't right. Who's supposed to be looking out for wildfire survivors in this settlement? There is a committee in the bankruptcy that is supposed to be looking out for the interests of wildfire survivors. It's this thing called the Tort Claimants Committee, or the TCC. That committee was made up of 11 survivors appointed by the U.S. trustee. Uh, the U.S. trustee is a branch of the Department of Justice that's supposed to oversee bankruptcy proceedings like this. In the last month and a half or so, three of the 11 members have resigned, saying that they are very concerned about this settlement, that it's deeply flawed, as one person put it. Okay. Hi, Karen. Hi. Okay. I'm recording you now. 
they are privy to conversations that we are not privy to. But what we do know based on the language in their resignation letters is that it's at a certain point, they were evidently told that they could not speak freely against this plan while they remained on that committee. I want to publicly voice my concerns at this critical juncture. And the reason I needed to be off of the committee in order to do that is I am not allowed to voice my particular opinion to the public. By resigning from the committee and no longer having that gag order, they were allowed to say to their fellow survivors, there are some serious flaws in this deal that you're about to vote on. You mentioned earlier uh, how complicated all this is. And for survivors, you also have this layer of trauma that you were talking about as well. How can survivors possibly deal with all that? Have you talked to anybody about that? I've talked to so many survivors in the last month. They have really stepped up and tried to get engaged in this process. They uh, are writing letters to the court and just say, hey, don't forget about us. We're here and this is really important. And You know, there are people like um, Tubbs Fire survivor Will Abrams who, you know, is doing this engagement in part for his family, but is also doing it, as he tells it, on behalf of all fire survivors who have lost everything. and And he also wants to make sure there's not another generation of fire survivors, you know, this coming fire season or the fire season after that one. My goal is really to be able to, you know, look my kids in the eyes and let them know that um, dad's doing what he can to uh, help to provide a safer and more secure environment for them. Um, You know, my family ran from the flames in October 2017, and uh, I really want to be in a position to help I know PG&E wants to put these fires behind them. What's at stake for PG&E with this settlement? So PG&E needed to reach the settlement with not just fire survivors, but some of the other parties in this case in order to get out of bankruptcy by June 30th. That is a state-mandated deadline um, that was created last year with the passage of this law called AB 1054. And what it does is it creates an insurance fund that PG&E can tap for future fires. And so this wildfire fund is essentially saying there is a chance that PG&E's equipment will cause more fires in the future. And they want protection. That's right. There is no bigger utility in this country than PG&E. Um, it is the largest by revenue. It has 16 million customers, and it is a vast territory. And a lot of that territory is covered by really, really old equipment. Um, and so upgrading all of that is something that could easily take years. It's expected to take years. Um, and so it's going to be a long process. The vote started on April 1st, and it's supposed to continue through May 15th. And so it's baffling to a lot of survivors that they are voting on a deal where key components are still being hammered out right now. What does it mean for wildfire survivors if PG&E doesn't get enough votes on this settlement? 
So PG&E needs to get two-thirds of people who vote to vote yes for this settlement to go forward. If clients vote no, it is possible for the bankruptcy to move forward, but the optics of that would not be good. And we haven't gotten any indications that the court would push survivors aside if they vote no. Even though there are concerns about this settlement, I would say the vast majority of people represented by this group of mass tort lawyers, folks who have signed up thousands of clients at a time, um, the vast majority of people represented by those lawyers have voted yes from what we are told. So it is entirely possible that this deal will pass despite some of the opposition that we've talked about. So why are so many people voting yes to approve this settlement? I have talked to some people who are voting yes because they are being strongly encouraged to do so by their lawyers. And some just want to see what happens to see if they'll get anything at all out of this settlement. Um, Meanwhile, there are other attorneys who have asked that the voting materials be sent directly to their clients so they can read it through themselves. What we've learned in the last week is that some survivors have not gotten their ballots or voting materials at all. And a common thread appears to be that many of those folks do not have attorneys representing them in this case. The delay might be the product of COVID-19 issues with the mail. Some more skeptical survivors think that it's no accident that they haven't gotten their ballots. PG&E did not give us hard answers after multiple attempts. We don't know still what happened and what's being done about that. I'm curious, what does this mean for the rest of us, you know, who haven't lost homes, but who are still paying PG&E bills and who will still be affected by what happens, you know, in the long run? To answer that question, one of the most important things that has happened in the last week is a order by U.S. District Judge William Alsup, who is overseeing PG&E's probation stemming from the 2010 San Bruno pipeline explosion, which PG&E was found uh, criminally at fault for. He wrote wrote this, and I'm just going to go ahead and read it for you because I think it really tells the story of where we are He said that the company, that PG&E, cannot safely deliver power to California. PG&E has spent much of the last year plus trying to invest in its grid. Uh, They've really stepped up inspections. They've tried to do a better job of monitoring. Um, But dollars don't mean results. And I think that there is an an acknowledgement in that order from Judge Alsup that we're not ready for the next fire season and we might not be ready for future fire seasons after that. There is no doubt that there are going to be more fires. The question is, how do we manage them? How do we mitigate? And how do we make PG&E the kind of company that is uh, that makes us all proud to to get our power from them. That proves to California that it's really prepared for the changing climate and conditions that are inevitable in the years and generations to come. Lily, thanks so much. Thanks for having me on.
Wildfire survivors have until the end of Friday, May 15th to vote, and the deal needs two-thirds majority to pass. Right now, there's currently no agreed-upon timeline for the settlement to get paid out. Lily Jamali hosts the California Report, and she's been reporting on the PG&E settlement for KQED. You can listen to the California Report on 88.5 FM or subscribe wherever you get the bay. Also a reminder that you are invited to a live taping of the Bay over Zoom. That's going to be next Wednesday, May 13th at 5.30 p.m. This is a free event, and you'll get to see how we record an interview and also ask questions about our production process or about how the pandemic will impact the 2020 elections. So please come on out and uh, say hi. The Bay is produced by Erica Cruz Guevara and our editor, Alan Montecilio. I'm Devin Katayama. We'll talk to you next time. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.